Good morning. It's always a pleasure to, to be here gathered with God's people, and, and especially uh, during the season of Advent, because uh, I find this season to be a rather beautiful one as, as we sort of gather and, and enter into the uh, into this sense of, of waiting and, and expectation. And, and one of the ways that we're doing that is by taking a look at a number of prophecies uh, from the book of Isaiah. Prophecies about the, the coming of Christ and, and prophecies about what his kingdom is going to look like when he comes. And I have to admit that I, I, I have a, a little bit of a difficult time uh, reading and, and understanding uh, these words and, and these prophecies from Isaiah. And, and one is textual and, and the other is, is maybe a little bit more personal. Uh, on, on the textual side, the thing that I struggle with in these words from Isaiah is, is he covers so much in, in about 10 verses. Uh, the, the, there's so much uh, that could be said and, and so much that if I'm going to limit a sermon to 45 minutes that I'm just not going to be able to cover. <laughs> That would. <laughs> All right, hour it is. But then, and then the second one with is, is the, the imagery that he uses. Uh, so much of it is so rich and beautiful, but, but it's also somewhat difficult and, and, un, and hard to understand. And then on the more personal side, the thing that I struggle with in reading and, and understanding these texts from Isaiah is. The simple fact that I hate waiting. Anyone there with me? I hate waiting. Like, the DMV is my own personal hell. It is awful. Because I hate waiting. Uh, I'm awful at waiting. And I think many of us were were bad at waiting. And, And especially as people who live between the first advent of Jesus and the second... It can be difficult to understand as we read these texts from Isaiah. What is true right now and what are we still waiting for? Uh, What do we get to to taste and and to touch and to see and experience right now? and, And what is still yet to come in the future? But that is precisely for us the very theme of Advent. People who live between that first coming of Jesus on Christmas and his life, death, and resurrection, and then ascension, and now waiting for him to come again. There are things that we get to enjoy that he gives us right now, and things that we're still longing and and expecting. And so let's take a look here at these words of Isaiah. Take a look at what he says and, and what he talks about when he, when he approaches the subject of the coming Messiah, this righteous branch that's going to spring forth, and, and what his reign and rule is going to look like. So we begin in verse 1. Isaiah says, and this is the word of the Lord, God speaking through his servant Isaiah says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So Isaiah looks ahead and he imagines the royal lineage of David as this tree. And he says that there is a day that is coming when this tree that is the royal line of David and the kingdom of Israel and it's going to be cut down. Destruction is coming upon Israel. 
and its kingdom and its royal lineage is going to be reduced to nothing but a stump. Virtually an afterthought, but, but from that stump there is going to come forth a shoot. This new branch from the stump of Jesse is going to come and a king is going to rise up in the place of David. And through this king, God is going to do something new. And Isaiah talks a little bit about this righteous branch that is going to spring forth. He says in verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and breathe with his lips and he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. So Isaiah says that when this new king, this righteous branch, springs forth from the line of David that has been reduced to a stump, when he springs forth and stands in the place of his father David, he's going to be given the very spirit of God, and that spirit is going to cause him to rule in an altogether different way. He's going to be given wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. That is what's going to mark his rule. And because of that, he's going to judge differently. It's going to be with righteousness, justice, that he rules the poor. It's going to be with equity that he decides disputes for the weak and the meek of the earth. So suddenly, the the weak and the lowly, the the poor and the impoverished, they're going to receive this justice that they so deeply desire but never seem to get. Seems that the weak are always having the scales tilted against them. But when this righteous branch comes, they're finally going to get justice. And the result of his rule is going to cause total and complete reconciliation Throughout creation. Verse 6 The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So this system of the strong preying upon the weak, right? We see these these relationships between prey and predator that are suddenly going to be no more, right? The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, and fatten calf together. So suddenly, instead of predator and prey, instead of the strong preying upon the weak and and taking advantage of those who are lesser, suddenly they'll be reconciled. It's not simply a reversal. It's not suddenly the weak are going to overwhelm the powerful. 
but they'll be equal. They'll be at rest and reconciliation with one another. There will be no more warring. There will be no more hurt or destruction in all of God's holy mountain because the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the Lord just as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So what began with the destruction of Israel and its royal lineage will then shift. And as that destruction is undone, the reconciliation and the peace and the rest that this king will bring extends out to all of creation. Destruction ends not only for Israel, but for the entire earth. All the nations will come and inquire of this king. And, and I read this text. Again, if someone who stands between the first coming of Jesus and the second. And, and I find myself wondering, why, doesn't thing, why don't things look like this? Right? If Christ the Messiah has come, why doesn't creation look this way? And I find myself suddenly identifying with the disciples and, and all of their confusion when Jesus comes. And the reason for that being is they're expecting that when the Messiah comes, when the shoot from the stump of Jesse comes, all of these things are just going to come right along with it. Right? That, that suddenly he's going to be judging the poor equally. And he's going to be striking down the wicked. And, and, and adversaries are going to be reconciled and there's going to be peace. Right? And Israel's kingdom is going to be restored and the nations are going to flock to Israel. They're expecting all of that to come right when the Messiah comes. And you begin to understand why they become so incredulous. And Peter even rebukes Jesus when he predicts his crucifixion. Right? Jesus, you're supposed to come and you're supposed to restore Israel. How are you going to be crucified? You can't do any of that when you're dead. Or, or why when the, Jesus and his disciples, when they enter a Samaritan village and Jesus is rejected there, James and John are like, hey, Jesus, do you want us to just go ahead and call down some fire from heaven and we'll just take care of these guys? Right? They think they're helping him. They think, they think what they're doing is encouraging him to do exactly what Isaiah said he's going to do. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. They imagine that they are a part of the Messiah's reign and rule. This should all be happening right now. We maybe find ourselves right along with the disciples asking that question after his resurrection. Will you now restore the kingdom of Israel? And, and what I find myself feeling in my disdain of waiting is I find myself feeling like I'm a kid again in the back seat of the car on the way to grandma's house for Christmas asking the same question over and over and over again. Are we there yet? Mom and dad, are we there yet? How much longer? Aren't we there yet? Has your kingdom not come yet? 
Oh, when are you going to come and restore everything? When are you going to come and create that day when the lion and the lamb, they dwell together? Right? When, when the, the strong no longer prey upon the weak and you accomplish that total, complete reconciliation and peace in creation. What are we waiting for? Why hasn't it come yet? Because we look around and, and it doesn't look like the world that Isaiah envisions. Which interestingly enough is precisely one of the reasons why the people of Israel reject Jesus as Messiah. Why the people of Israel reject the message of the apostles after the resurrection. Because they look around and they see the world that Isaiah prophesies. And after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, things didn't get a whole lot better, did they? Some might contend they perhaps got worse for Israel. And we can attest to this too. We look around and even as people who, who ardently and, and vigorously believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah who has come to save us, we look around and we can attest that the world hasn't gotten a lot better since the ascension of Jesus, has it? I mean, even with, with the Enlightenment and, and the promise of, of modernity and modern science that, that there is sort of this inevitable progress, all that we see that's, pro that's progressed is really our ability to kill one another in large quantities. And we look around and, and we see hurt and destruction ravaging creation. We, we see war tearing apart the face of the earth. We, we look around in our own city and, and we see that the, po the poor still don't get justice. And you look around and you see that homelessness and poverty, they're on the incline in Seattle, not on the decline. We live in the wealthiest nation in the world and we still see young kids growing up without basic necessities. And we find ourselves asking again and again, are we there yet? Jesus, are we there yet? When is your kingdom going to come? Because I look around and it doesn't seem that, that we're there yet. And perhaps what's even more difficult is that the problem isn't just out there. The problem isn't just we look around and, and we see the world afflicted in such a way that, that clearly Isaiah's vision of the new creation hasn't come yet. But we see it when we look in our hearts. And, and we see that same war between the weak and the strong being waged in us as well. That if you're like me, you find yourself obsessed and constantly concerned with being counted with the haves rather than the have-nots. And if you're given the choice between being a wolf and a lamb, I'll take wolf every time. I mean, if, if we have to live in this system, this system of, of winners and losers, I'd much rather be a winner than a loser. And I'll even be a winner at the expense of the losers if that's what it takes. And we look around and, and clearly, not only out there, but in here, Isaiah's vision of the new creation hasn't come. 
This vision of the reign of this righteous branch that will spring up out of the stump of Jesse, that will spring up out of death and destruction and hostility, it still doesn't feel like it's come yet. We find ourselves still waiting. And perhaps the most haunting reality is that when we're really honest with ourselves, if we really take a close look in the mirror, we see that the same thing that exists in the most awful things to exist in all of creation is the same thing that's underneath our own sin. That when we really get down to it, that the sort of thinking and behavior that is behind our desire to, to shift blame on someone else when we make a mistake, it's the same sort of selfishness and self-interest that's behind genocide. That when we really get down to it, that when I pretend that I'm still asleep at night and I hear my daughter crying and I just kind of pretend that I don't hear her, and so someone else has to take care of her, I haven't done that for a while, but I would be lying if I said it had never happened. That the same sort of self-interest behind that is the same sort of selfishness that's behind sex trafficking and the slave trade. That it's I'm centered on what is going to benefit me, even if it has to come at the expense of someone else. In his commentary on, on the book of Romans, Martin Luther, he, he uses this, this Latin phrase called curvatus in se. It simply means curved in on self. And, and, he, and he says this, about us in our sinful state. And we see just how contrary we are to what Isaiah envisions here in his words. He says, man is so curved in upon himself that he uses not only physical, but even spiritual goods for his own purposes. And in all things seeks only himself. In all things, seeks only himself. Abuses not only physical, but spiritual things. That, that we have this tendency even to twist and turn the word of God to benefit ourselves at the expense of others. And we really take a good look in the mirror. What we realize is that we ourselves stand as the answer to our question, are we there yet? We take a look at ourselves and we realize, no. No. We're not there yet. Feels like we're not even close. Isaiah begins this chapter saying, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Isaiah envisions a day when out of the total destruction of the house and line of David, out of the complete destruction, bringing to absolutely nothing the nation of Israel, out of that will come a day when this righteous branch springs forth and he will create this space in the midst of that destruction and in the midst of hostility, in the midst of the, the hurting and the destroying that ravages creation, right in the midst of that he is going to create a space in which an alternative reality exists. 
a space in which the wolf does lie down with the lamb, a, a space in which there's no more system of haves and haves nots, a space in which we trade the strong preying upon the weak for that total, complete reconciliation between the weak and the powerful. Reconciliation between those with nothing and those with everything. You see, one of the things that we do in Advent is we look ahead. We look ahead to this day that we will enjoy Isaiah's prophecy in all of its fullness. When there's total and complete reconciliation in all creation. When there's no more warring against one another. But as we look ahead, I think we are also called to look right now to the present and recognize that there is a space right here in our midst that the Messiah Jesus himself has created. Where we get to enjoy this vision in part right now, right here. That yes, we are waiting for something. We are waiting for this to come in its fullness. But we get to experience it in part here in our midst. And it's right here in this place that we call the church. Jesus says, this is how all people will know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. You see, it's here in the church that the the rich and the powerful ride along with the poor and the weak. We come together as one body, each confessing that on our own, when we stand before God, we come empty-handed. That before God, we're all the weak, we're all the lowly. We come together and we together confess our own selfishness and self-interest. We confess our sinful inclinations and we recognize that before God, we are all beggars. But it says we come together in this place, all being made equal in our sin. That we all receive something that we don't deserve. We receive the grace and the mercy that's poured out for Jesus in the cross. It's here together in the church that we stand before the empty tomb of Christ. And while we may be beggars on our own, there we are raised up. We're raised up to be royalty as we're called sons and daughters of the living God. It's here in the church that we seek to love one another as Christ has loved us. That we enjoy this reconciliation that we have with God and so we seek to extend that reconciliation out to our neighbors. To go and extend that love and that grace and mercy to one another. To forgive as we have been forgiven. It's here in the church that we come before the altar. We kneel down having nothing. And we are given his life for ours. May the season of Advent, may it cause you to look ahead and long for the day. When Isaiah's vision comes in its fullness. The day when the wolf and the lamb lie down with one another. The day when the strong and the weak are reconciled. May it cause you to long for that day, to to expect that day, to wait for that day. May it cause us to long for that day so much that we seek to see it lived out here in the present.
as we love and serve one another. And may our love and service to one another and to the world stand as a sign for all people of just how glorious his resting place will be. Amen?